0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. At our midweek Lenten service this past Wednesday evening, I quoted C.F.W. Walther, who served as the first president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He was also instrumental in founding the St. Louis Seminary and served as their professor for many years. Later in his life, he gave some lectures to students on Friday evenings, which has been published and translated into English as a book called Law and Gospel. And in one of these lectures to the seminary students, he told this, he told the students that if you try to Make your sins small, you also make Christ small, which is what I had reported also on Sunday or Wednesday evening. But what Walter is saying here is if you minimize your sins by trying to explain them away if you give what you feel are rational explanations for why you did what you did for your sinful acts, if you try to make excuses for your sin or pretend that your sin really isn't sin or figure that what may have been described as sinful in the Bible is no longer sinful in the modern 21st century, Then you are doing the exact same thing to our Lord Jesus Christ. You would be explaining Jesus away. You would be giving a rational explanation for why you don't really need Jesus as your Savior. You would be making excuses for why you feel that you don't need to hear Him. You will pretend that Jesus really isn't the only Savior. And you will figure that maybe Jesus, who was relevant to the people in ancient days, is no longer relevant now that we're living in modern 20, the modern 21st century. I know that people often do not intend to do this to their Savior as they try to save face from their sins, but that is truly the end result. Any attempt to remove your sin apart from Christ is to remove Christ from being your Savior. The only way you can have your sins taken away is through the one who bore your sins in his body and bled, shedding his blood for you and died on the cross in your place. So do not, before God, make your sins look small. Do not pretend you're just a petty offender against the law of God. But recognize the true seriousness of your sin. That your sins are deep, they are grave, and they lead to eternal death. Your sin put Jesus nailed on the cross Your sin caused Jesus to suffer the wrath of God. Your sin is why Jesus was forsaken by his heavenly father because he was bearing your very sin in his body on the cross. When we attempt to make our sins out to be but small, insignificant, petty sins in the face of what others do, then we have forgotten that Jesus says that we have planks in our own eyes. As God's children, we, can't, we come before God in repentance, pleading guilty of our many, many sins, not making excuses for them, not pretending before God that we have some good rationale for why we did them. Because when we come before him, pleading guilty of all that we have done amiss, without excuse and claiming Christ as our advocate and our Redeemer, the one who has taken away our sins, God does precisely that. He readily receives us with wide open arms and he fully forgives us. He declares us to be innocent, to be justified, to be forgiven. Now, this does not mean that we should be shouting out our sins from the rooftops or, may, or seeking to win awards for committing the biggest sins. Because as Christians, our desire is to follow God's law on Christian living. In thanksgiving, out of gratitude for what Jesus did for us when he paid for our sins on the cross, taking them away, we want to then minimize our actual sins where to love god where to love our neighbor it becomes our desire our delight to do so fulfilling the law it is written in third john beloved do not imitate evil but imitate good whatever or whoever does good is from god whoever does evil has not seen god in addition to making Christ look small, because we're often busy trying to make our sins look small so that we can look good before our neighbor, we also make Christ look small by trying to minimize the supernatural events that take place in the Bible and even his working in our everyday lives today. We like to think that everything is all settled by logic, by reason, and that we will just go according to that. Since God does not lie, everything that is recorded in the Bible is true. When we hear of the ten plagues, or Jonah in the belly of the great fish, or the feeding of the 5,000 like we did today, many are tempted to think that those events didn't really happen. Some try to explain them away as mere parables that are written in the Bible to serve as stories as opposed to be true historical narratives, true events. Others, thinking that they're enlightened today, figure that the ancient people were superstitious, and so these various superstitions were added to the scriptures to give people some sort of illustration that they could follow. Many today simply do not view the biblical narrative as historical, and this gets worse when it comes to the creation account. They've, they think that they have heard the scientific facts concerning the age of the earth, and so they figure, well, man must be right, and God must be wrong. But then they do not believe Jesus' own words when he teaches that the miracles that are recorded in the scriptures actually happened. Or they don't believe Jesus' own word when he references the creation account. Jesus said in Mark 13, from the beginning of the creation that God created until now, confirming who created the world. When asked the question about divorce, Jesus replied by confirming the Genesis narrative on the creation of man and women that it wasn't billions of years after the world came to be, but it was at the beginning of God's creation when God made the first humans. Jesus said in Matthew 19, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together Let not man separate. And concerning Jonah, which has been often rejected by those who question miracles in the Bible, Jesus said this in Matthew 12, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. When people cannot accept the notion that Jonah was swallowed up by a great fish and then spit out on dry ground some three days later, how do they believe that Jesus truly died and was raised bodily from the dead on the third day? Another miracle Jesus references is the one that we heard in our Old Testament lesson today. God fed his people manna they had that dew that would dry up and it would leave this 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 uh, fine flour paste like whatever you want to describe it as a uh, thing for them to eat kind of like bread and for 40 years that is what god supplied for them that is what they ate as they wandered in the wilderness god Nourished them. God sustained them through that miraculous event of providing manna until they entered into the promised land. Jesus confirms this wondrous act of God not long after our gospel reading when he says later in John 6, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness And they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. These words of Jesus, he not only confirms the miracle of feeding the Israelites in the wilderness with manna. But he also teaches that he is the true way to eternal life. That only through feeding on him, through faith, feeding on his word and sacrament, he is the bread of life, we obtain eternal salvation. He saves us. Jesus teaches us elsewhere that he is the only way to salvation and that that way is through faith in him. For Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And after he had been raised from the dead, Jesus said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And St. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, declared in Acts 4, Let it be known to all of you and to the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified whom God raised from the dead, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. When it comes to the moral law, people sometimes want to dismiss portions of that. They sometimes feel that they are enlightened and so Whatever Jesus spoke, that they can hold to, but the other portions that Jesus didn't address in the moral law, maybe they don't need to be addressed, such as homosexual acts or abortion. Jesus didn't expressly bring them up. And so they think that they can then go against the Bible's teachings on these matters because they feel that the Gospels don't record Jesus saying anything on them. However, as we have heard, Jesus By mentioning all these things throughout the Old Testament, he is validating the writings of the Bible as he quotes the scriptures. We also have to remember God does not lie, and Jesus is that word made flesh. Now, others do not like certain doctrinal statements in the Bible. This is especially true when it comes to some of the things that are written in St. Paul's epistles. So, for example, closed communion or the prohibition of women into the pastoral office. They are clearly taught by St. Paul. But many deride his writings by saying, well, isn't that Pauline? That's not what Christ actually said. Yet, the ascended Jesus personally and directly called Paul into the ministry, even while Paul, who was then named Saul, was seeking to destroy Christianity. Jesus himself said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus himself saw to it that he would be baptized into Christ and that he would serve as a foremost missionary in the early church and write much of the epistles found in the New Testament. And so upon his conversion to Christianity, Paul worked tirelessly to advance the very gospel that he once rejected, proclaiming the pure word of Christ. When people want to pit Paul against Jesus or reject the miraculous portions of Scripture, such as the manna in the wilderness or the feeding of the 5,000, they really are not trying to uncover the real Jesus after getting rid of the supposed superstitious shroud that conceals the truth, Instead, they are seeking to define God on their own terms. They are trying to establish truth not according to an objective standard, but according to their own thoughts and their own feelings or their own observations. Ironically, they masquerade themselves as enlightened thinkers, illumined by what they feel is true wisdom when in reality they by rejecting the pure word of God, are remaining in darkness, so long as they do not cling to the entire Bible as divinely revealed, inspired, and errant word of God. They are trying to turn the Almighty God, the one true triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the maker of the heavens and the earth, the redeemer of our sins, the sanctifier— They are trying to turn this God into a small God who is weak and even incapable, who cannot perform miracles such as these and who does not work in our day in such miraculous ways. They don't realize it, but they are attempting to turn God into an image of themselves, a God who is small and imperfect and dishonest. My friends, do not fall into this trap. Our society is becoming increasingly hostile to God's truth, and it is a temptation that we face to join those scoffing masses who look down upon faithful Christians with scorn. Do not give in to these temptations. Let this not be named among you. Instead, realize who God truly is, and who you now are in Christ. God is not a small, weak God who can only forgive the little sins. God is not a small, weak God who could only give a perception of a miracle. But God can forgive all sins, for Jesus bore all sin in his body and still rose from the grave. And God can perform any type of miracle, For by his voice, he brought all things into being. He defeated Satan through Christ's sacrificial death. He overcame death and the grave through our Lord's triumphant resurrection. He has taken our sins away through the shedding of his blood. And Jesus, being the Son of God, the promised Messiah, the Lord's anointed, the Christ, fulfilled all that the scriptures had prophesied of him. Jesus demonstrated his lordship over all creation, his divine omnipotence, and even his tender compassion for mankind when he saw that crowd coming and used a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish to feed 5,000 families. He produced much out of little. Everyone who was present could eat as much as he wanted, and not wanting to waste a thing, the leftovers amounted to far more than what they had started with. This is an amazing and true miracle of God. The Bible prophesied Jesus would be the prophet in Deuteronomy 18. And recognizing this, the people, they then try by force to turn the one who is prophesied as the prophet into an earthly king. That's what they try to do, but he perceiving this leaves so that they cannot do what he had not come to be. You see, Jesus did not come to be some earthly king. Instead, he came to fulfill his father's will in redeeming mankind so that he can be seated at the right hand of the father and so that all enemies will become his footstool, as Psalm 110 declares. Jesus is not to be an earthly king, but he is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. And so truly God is not small, but he is our great God who has won for us the victory. He performs miracles even today through his mighty hand. And the greatest one, is reconciliation with God for eternal life, that we are received into his divine favor through faith in Jesus. He has turned our hearts of stone into living and active hearts of faith in Christ, a people who trust in Jesus and who receive the goal of their faith, the salvation of their bodies and souls. God is certainly great and powerful and he is also loving and compassionate. Thanks be to God. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. We now stand to sing as our offertory hymn, hymn 774, Feed Thy Children, God Most Holy. Please rise.